Hello guys and welcome back to Take 97, a film podcast with your host, me, David Ingram. Today uh, we are going to be talking about a specific genre of, of film, or type of film then, and uh, as I promised at the end of the last episode, um, I didn't tell you, if you were listening last time, I didn't tell you what today's topic was going to be, going to leave it as a surprise, but... I can reveal today, at the beginning of this episode, the topic for today is 21st century teen films. Now, as you can probably tell from the title of this episode, Forever Young Volume 1, it means that I'm going to be doing two of these podcasts, but not on specifically the same subject as such. So, essentially, this, I've decided to do 21st century teen films, whereas the next one, the eventual... Forever Young Volume 2 will be based on the more classic range of films, so including stuff like Sixteen Candles, Heathers, all those classic John Hughes films and various other ones that involve teenagers but from the 20th century rather than the 21st century. I mainly have decided to do this on the basis that I think that I have more of more familiarity, as it were, with the 21st century films uh i do know of the older classics but at the same time i have more of a a personal connection with these 21st century ones and i feel i want to bring those to you first my personal recommendations to you so we're going to start off with those first and then build up to though the classic ones in volume two later on somewhere down the line uh so keep an eye out for that when that happens uh if this is the first time you're joining us welcome if it you're back from the last episode as i said welcome back and uh let's get started on the podcast action going right so the first film i'm going to talk to you about today so it's a 21st century teen film um coming of age drama however you want to phrase it um, the first one I'm going to talk to you about today is a film called Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. And it's released in 2015 and it's largely got an unknown got an unknown cast largely, but it is a very, very sad film, as you can tell by the title. But it's also very, very sweet and very interesting in the way it deals with human emotions. Whilst you can expect that most teen films of a certain calibre will be... Lo- all based around teenagers or young people going, oh, why is this Why is this happening to me? It's a poor me scenario, usually, at least in some recent films, in some respects. Other cases, it's just a case of moping teenage lovesick drama or something else like that in the poorer examples of a teen film. Whereas this one, it focuses on young people, but with much more higher stakes, as it were. So... Uh, much more serious problems at hand. Um, as I said, it does involve a dying girl, or at least slated as the dying girl. Um, it stars the beautiful and amazing actress Olivia Cook. And if you don't know who she is, um, you may also recognise her from such films as Ready Player One, which Steven Spielberg film, and she also appeared as one of the love interests on the TV series Bates Motel, the contemporary prequel to Psycho, the Alfred Hitchcock film. Um, both, she did a stunning job on both of them, but this one I feel one of her, and again it's one of her earliest roles, um, as most of her career defining moments are these days, because she hasn't done much just yet, but I feel this is one of her best films, 
and one of her more nuanced performances in which we really get to the heart of a character and she really delivers when she performs this character. Um, the character she does play is called Rachel and the rest of the film is centred on, obviously there's Earl involved but we'll get to him later, uh, a character called Greg who is a bit of an bit of a nobody really he kind of talk he's in all with the different groups in the high school hierarchy but at the same time he doesn't belong to any of them so he kind of goes between them all and he doesn't really express his interest in being with any of these groups as a bona fide friend or member of these cliques as it were but he he prides himself on his anonymity and the fact that he can be unnoticed uh, at all he is not noticed at all from the entire time that he's been at school and he prides himself on that and it's kind of ruined over the course of the film because he makes himself more known because of certain things he does uh, for certain people but if you watch the film you'll get that when you watch it anyway but Greg itself himself he's a loner essentially and the only reason why he goes over to he even meets Rachel is because of the fact that Greg's mum actively says look there's this girl in your class she us two mums we talk and the pair of us were deciding you know Rachel the girl the dying girl she's been diagnosed with leukemia and she would like to probably appreciate a friendly face going over and <laughs> obviously to Greg this is a very bad idea because Greg doesn't actually really like talking to people at the best of times um, but he agrees to do it just to get his mum off his back. And then from that point on, she realises, you know, obviously she thinks that he's just there to pity her and she he's there for the sake of it. And he doesn't really care, but he's just there to, you know, show her pity and or for all the wrong reasons. And in some respects, he doesn't really, in a lot of cases, he doesn't really care. And I, I feel that he really puts Rachel at ease by being just who he is. And I feel that this, I will get back to later, is a developing theme across all of the uh, teen films, uh, the ones that I like particularly, the ones where they show how someone can be better than they actually are and how they actually perceive themselves. And it takes a strong bond or friendship with a new group of people or a new person to really help you actually see who you really are and like appreciate all the good parts about you and rather than just seeing all the bad that's in you see the good that's in you for once and that is the hopeful message and the hopeful side of me and Earl and the dying girl and obviously they have a very close friendship which kind of is like a relationship ish and it's treated with a lot of tongue-in-cheek comedy with a lot of voiceover work from the character of Greg he really doesn't he knows and understands the water he's treading it's very dangerous waters because of the fact that he actually might develop feelings for her and she might develop feelings for him but he calls it the doomed friendship because of the fact that they're and he has like a little countdown to say the doomed friendship day one and it's all we there's a little montage of moments where we discover that they get really close and you know it looks like they might actually want to be romantically together but they you know it's he knows it's doomed because of the fact that she's got terminal cancer so at the end of it, it obviously it's a I won't tell you what the end of the film is because I'll let you get to that but 
the joy of the journey in this film really is also expressed with the help of the character of Earl. Earl is the friend or best friend or as he likes to call him co-worker of Greg uh, because Greg doesn't like as Earl tells uh, Rachel it tells him uh, that the fact that the can't really attach he can't really attach to people that easily and of course because he finds himself so close with Rachel it's quite a weird anomaly in the fact that his only other friend was really Earl and the sense that Earl is just someone he does the uh, work with and when I say work he works on parody films parody films of art house cinema and other different types of films there's they do a parody of a clockwork orange i think it's called a sockwork orange i believe there's with sock puppets and with a glass of milk uh, and it's absolutely hilarious there's a whole montage of all their many many parodied films and that's really funny and that's one of the heart and soul moments of the film is they get told oh maybe you should make a film for rachel because rachel actually gets to see all these films and some people know that Earl and Greg do these films, but they never show them because uh, mainly because Greg is not embarrassed by his by what he likes to do. But at the same time, he he doesn't share things with many people, especially himself. So at the end of the day, he has really opened up to Rachel in so much of a sense that he doesn't lo- mind being open for once and being himself, which is what he ultimately learns by the end of the film is that, do you know what? you can be yourself around people, you just need to give them a chance, it doesn't matter, you just need to be yourself and not care, Um, obviously it was done under slightly different circumstances uh, when he met Rachel, but that's a different story altogether, but uh, the parody films, they set out, they do them, and Rachel enjoys them, and someone suggests they make a film for Rachel, and that's what the second half of the film really is all about, really, they make this film for Rachel, Meanwhile, she's still struggling with her treatment, and it's very sad, it's very moving, and it's just a brilliant film, um, directed by Al, Al, uh, a great director. I'm not sure I actually recognise the name, really. Uh, I've only recognised his name for this film. Um, he's probably done lots of other work, but I only recognise him from this film. Uh, great director Alfonso gomez Rajon, if I pronounced that correctly. Um he does a great job he does some really amazing shots and there's a really good sequence in which we get a voiceover from Greg and he he's looking at Olivia Cook's Rachel and goes this is the moment in most romantic stories where you'd expect us to lock eyes lock across the room and we'd run madly into each other's arms and make passionate love uh, you know something to that words to that effect and in the end he he just he does that as a slow mo lovely bit of slow motion we we, we kind of glamorize uh, olivia cook for a little bit and you know make it look really sensuous lovely bit of camera work and then we just cut straight to straight to greg's face looking really dumbstruck and really confused still because he's explaining his internal monologue to us but also to himself in a way and meanwhile he's just staring into space at Rachel's face and Rachel's like are you okay and (laughs) and it's just comical little small moments like that that really make this film stand out as well as the sad bits as well as the really dramatic bits as well and the real soul-searching moments of the film it's a it's a great film it's a classic to behold for the future but 
I'm uh, speaking of moving on in the future. I will now move on to my next pick, the film Booksmart. Booksmart is a film directed by Olivia Wilde. It only came out last year in 2019. And it stars Caitlin Deaver and Beanie Feldstein as the main characters, Amy and Molly. Uh, They're both high-achieving girls in their high school, at the end of their high school year and their senior year. And they want to really, you know, get the best out of life. And, you know, they think everything's about the grades and they really study hard. And they're they're just really nerdy, really overbearing girls that do nothing but schoolwork and stuff to do with their future and stuff and they don't really have much of a social life outside of their own friendship obviously in this film they suddenly discover that all their peers who they feel inferior to them in some respect aren't actually as as thick shall we say or stupid as they may think they're going to prestigious universities in america um whilst they didn't actually study as hard as these two girls did. And the girls realise, oh no, we've gone our whole high school life without actually living it and enjoying ourselves. You know, we've done all the hard work, but we've never enjoyed ourselves. We've never relaxed. We've never really explored boys and girls, you know, boyfriends and girlfriends. We never really explored that kind of stuff. And it's one of those classic caper kind of films where you know in the sense that they go on a big adventure for one last night of hell and fun uh to really find themselves in some respects so whereas in me and earl and the dying girl greg learns to open up to other people and become his true self shall we say around other people this one is kind of the same except these two girls are learning to really embrace who they are and enjoy it but also, you know, just learn to relax, really. And it's just a film full of, like, it's based around one night. They're trying to get to one party, and they end up at about, like, three different ones before they get to the actual party. Uh, they meet a very strange, perverted uh, <laughs> a pizza delivery guy at one point. They go to a yacht and a, a murder mystery house party. It's, it's done by the Drama Society uh, nerds that are at their school and it's just full of some really weird wacky characters and brilliant comedy moments um there's some lovely shots olivia wilde has got some really good i i forget what the the name of the cinematographer is on, was on this film but the cinematography i think was very nice on this one it was nice on um me and Elle and the dying girl but i feel book smart with all the nighttime shots and the way that some of the bits were shot so there's like a lovely slow motion sequence at the end of there when their school closes uh you see a slow motion uh, sequence of a of everyone celebrating chucking papers everywhere uh spray hosing down people with um water also uh, balloon water uh, balloon bombs and also uh, fire someone's riding on a skateboard with a with a fire extinguisher and it's it's, it's bizarre but it, it it's shot so perfectly and so carefully and it's really done with such care and then obviously it's very emotional because we get obviously the teen love romance stuff so beanie feldstein's character and a guy that she quite likes uh they end up at the actual party that they were aiming to get to they end up talking uh quite a lot um and you know there's drama in between you know there's a few hidden truths hidden 
secrets between the two characters of Amy and Molly. Uh, you know, we learn about the fallout from that and the, how they make up and all that stuff and how actually friendship, their friendship is quite overbearing in some respects and they need they actually need more space than they realize and it's all about finding themselves uh, and i would say two more things about this film book smart as well as it's 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 so well written so witty so well directed and the performances are really nuanced but i just want to point out in terms of the writing and uh, and also the directing as well um i love it when we bring a bit of representation into films and it's not forced so it's done quite naturally and it's done well so for instance the character of amy is actually a young lesbian woman a young lesbian girl from uh, and it just doesn't really like when she's introduced you just see the pair amy and molly as two girls in high school and like when you are introduced to the different aspects of their personalities uh, although a lot of them are quite similar because they're both like very freaky twins and because uh, they get each other they finish each other's sentences they do like their weird handshakes and stuff you know they have a close bond that's a really close friendship but and you discover their individual little idiosynchronicities across the film and I feel uh, it's introduced right at the beginning that we have a you know that Amy, the character of Amy, played by brilliantly by Caitlin Deaver, is a lesbian. And she is introduced in a way that's so normal and so nuanced, it's just brilliant. Like, finally, we're getting some good films where we get to watch and be like, oh, yeah, do you know what? That, you know, she, she likes that girl, she fancies that girl. And it's not like a big... I know I'm making a big deal of it right now, but I feel... In terms of the way it's been directed, it's what we've been... what some A lot of people... I mean, I'm... I'm not an expert in terms of this kind of stuff, but in terms of generally viewing the film, I feel it was done in such a way that was so nuanced and so well performed and so well directed that it was done in such a great, you know, a, a really heartfelt way in some respects. You really feel like that. You feel like you can sympathise with Amy, you know, because the shots where you see her crush... Uh, their point of view shots mostly uh, or over the shoulder shots from like afar but mostly their point of view and they're just done they're shot with such care and attention and I feel the way it really captures that same essence that of the whole boy meets girl classic stereotype where you really really get to see what a character means to that character through their own eyes but through the lens that we're being shown in the film and it, I just love it and the second thing I want to say to finish off this bit on Booksmart is the character of Billy Lord. Billy Lord, who's the daughter of Carrie Fisher, who you may know her from, she starred in a TV, uh, a fair few TV series that had been done by Ryan Murphy, so Scream Queens, various American horror story films. Um, but uh, other than that, she hasn't really actually done much in terms of film as of yet. Uh, she starred alongside her mother in the sequel trilogy to the Star Wars fr franchise. Um, so in The Force Awakens, Last Jedi, and The Rise of Skywalker. But really, this film, Billy Lord, really shines. She's kind of, she acts a bit like a fairy godmother, in some respects, to Amy and Molly. Because she appears throughout the entire film... And she just appears out of nowhere with no explanation for how she got there, how she could get there so quickly, for, for an actual fact. Because 
the first party they go to, like I said, they go to a big yacht party, which this um, rich kid organises, and he has no friends, basically, but they go along to it anyway to explore the possibility of finding it because they were told that they could get to the other party, but actually they end up at that one. <clears throat> and Billy Lord's there. She's She gets really drunk and, you know, she's crazy, really zany character. And then she jumps off of the yacht into the water. And then she appears in miraculously at the net in like a cupboard at the next party in the murder mystery party. And she's not wet. She's completely bone dry and she just appears out of nowhere. And she follows them throughout the entire night. She's like their one constant companion, even though they didn't ask for her to be there. She's like their constant companion. And it's like she's the fairy godmother to those two. And it's just such a nice thing. It's like Billy Lord is there to say, you know, you be you guys. I actually knew you were quite cool to begin with. I never said it, but you guys were really cool. And even though they're not really, they're not close, close friends, but um, so Billy Lord's character, Gigi, I believe her name is, they, they form an unconditional bond, which you don't really get the essence for to begin with. But then throughout the film, you feel like, you know what, these guys are a proper good trio, even though Billy Lord's Gigi just keeps appearing out of absolutely nowhere. <laughs> but um, I feel that's what's so unique about Booksmart. Booksmart is a brilliant film that I feel you can watch and really relate to in some respects. You know, it's again, it's about being who you are, being who you want to be and not letting anyone else define you. But also at the same time, you know, just relaxing and being yourself. And... Um, in terms of being yourself, this now leads me on to my third and final recommendation of the podcast. It, I would have said this, talked about this one first, but I feel that this one is such a good film. It's one of my favourites. I absolutely love it. I had to leave it till last just to talk about it. The Perks of Being a Wallflower. What a film that is. I absolutely love it. It's um so for those of you who don't know, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, it stars Logan Lerman as Charlie, Emma Watson as Sam, and Ezra Miller as the character Patrick. Uh it's got a couple of others. It's got Paul Rudd in it as the English teacher, uh, and a few other people in it as well. Um, but mainly those those two those three main characters, the trio, they are the core characters of this film. The film is actually, the screenplay was written by the author of the original book, uh, Stephen Chabowski, and it was also directed by Stephen Chabowski, which I find amazing. The fact, you know, it's a very rare occurrence that you get an author of a book, of a novel, to actually direct and also write the screenplay for your own film adaptation. You know, I think it should be done more often because, I don't know, the way he did it, it was so true to the book and I'm not sure like some people I think I want to say people should agree with me because I feel the heart of the book has really been transferred to the film yes we lose a couple of scenes so there's a subplot with uh the sister Candace of the sister of Charlie uh she gets pregnant um and that's lost between the transition from the book to the film but as watching the feature commentary on my dvd copy I I can understand where he's coming from, where Stephen Chabowski's coming from, because he talks about the idea of ghosts. And in a film, a character can only really have one ghost, not two. In a novel, you can have loads, but in 
the film, you need one core central figure that's haunting the main character, as it were. And I won't spoil it too much for you because I want you guys to watch it because it's brilliant. Um, but the character of Aunt Helen is the ghost, in this case, of Charlie. And it really, really is... I, I don't want to say any more because I feel you should experience it for yourself. But yeah, it's a brilliant film, brilliant dynamics between the brilliant chemistry between the trio of Emma Watson, Logan Lerman and Ezra Miller. And it's got a really good soundtrack, independent sound, uh, lots of sound, sounds of the 90s, which are some really amazing songs. It's got David Bowie's Heroes on it, which it's matched with the infamous tunnel sequence. The tunnel sequence is a brilliant sequence for which <clears throat> we we really do join the characters on their journey, truly for the first time, and also by the end of the film, but that's something for you guys to watch. And it's shot really beautifully um, in a lovely location in Pittsburgh, in the hometown of the author, Stephen Chabowski, and it's just wonderful. We are infinite. The the words of the book, the words of the film, the words of Charlie, it really, you know, watching that sequence really does make you feel like we're in such a big moment right now. It's amazing. And, you know, it's set, set in the 1990s. And I feel that although we've got that time frame, you've got mixtapes, you've got all sorts of things going on which are to do with the period, it is timeless at the same time, despite the fact that it's in a specific period of history even though you know you've got you haven't got mobile phones as such you haven't got all the modern technology but you've got a lovely central trio cast and I feel that's what shines bright about this and they together they learn that they don't have to hide who they truly are from each other and I feel that that is the centre of all these films I've mentioned me, Earl and the Dying Girl, Booksmart, and Perks being a wallflower. They all, all of them, express, you know what? You have to be you in the environment that you're in. You know, find that safe space, and usually it's with the people that know you best, the people who love you the most. And they're just... I, the thing I love about teen films, especially these ones from the 21st century is the fact that they're they're just homely and very loving. Although we face lots of troubles and issues in them, so you've got stuff like teen pregnancy and <clears throat> the likes of Juno, and also in the cut scenes from Perks Mina Wallflower, and also uh, diagnosis of cancer in Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, but also just social not being accepted by your peers or feeling like you're not accepted. They're all very heartwarming stories because you learn to accept yourself for no matter who you are. And that's quite inspiring, really. <clears throat> and on that note, I'm going to leave and close the podcast and um, bid you a farewell. And I'll tell you what we're doing next week, next time. The next topic that we're going to be looking at is film noir. Film noir... It's a subject very close to my heart, and I look forward to discussing it with you guys, but I'm going to wrap the podcast up now, uh, and join me next time. I've been David Ingram, and that's a wrap on Take 97. See you later, guys.